0: This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
2: Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. And today, our subject is Christianity on the University campuses. And I have with me Matt Bennett, who is the founder of Christian Union. I'll let him explain what that ministry is in a minute. And Tim Atakari, who directs the campus ministry at Princeton University, um, a campus that I have visited several times, uh, actually several times for Uh, Christian Union, and our goal in these podcasts is to kind of begin to discuss what the environment is for Christians uh, on university campuses across the country and discuss the nature of ministries on campuses there around the country as well. So Matt, uh, thank you for joining us, and let me begin by asking you what is Christian Union, what does it seek to do, and uh, and how are you all doing?
3: Well, thank you for asking, and thanks for having me on the program. It's wonderful to see you again and to be in touch and to hear about what's going on with these podcasts. So um, thanks for having us, and I'm excited to share a little bit about who we are and what's going on. So, so yeah, we, um, Christian Union, our focus as a ministry is Christian leadership development on a number of key uh, strategic university campuses, mostly in the Northeast. And uh, once I get talking on, about it, I, I really can't stop, so I'll have to warn you now. But um, I'm, I'm really- a good
2: interrupter, so you're in good shape.
3: <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> we're a great combination. It's um, Yeah, we're really excited about what God is doing. Um, we have such a heart to see some of the most influential and, and secular cam- campuses in this nation change. And uh, our research has shown that. Um, about 50% of the most influential leaders in our country in government, business, education, media come from just eight schools, you know, the Ivy League schools. And I never knew that growing up in Texas. I grew up in Houston, Texas, and uh, Daryl and I actually went to kind of rival high schools near each other. And, uh, but when I came up east for college, that became more plain to me and seeing how many alumni come from these schools. And I really noticed, and it really impacted me in a deep level, what a bad situation this was that schools that are so influential in our culture will at the same time also be very, very secular. And um, it seems to be more or less a train wreck that has been happening in our culture for many years. And God raised me up to help see if I could uh, be a part of seeing that changed
2: so Tim how to t- explain how this works on, on the Princeton campus Christian Union is there what kind of uh, what kind of ministry opportunities do you create or have with with the with those who are attending the college
1: yeah um, we uh, yeah so we're as Matt said a, a Christian leadership development ministry and, and and I use that language because it is very very uh, um, much, not only a, a niche, but I think it's a, a, a leading edge of our ministry. I mean, we do many of the things that many campus ministries do as far as biblical impartation and and, and uh, one-on-one discipleship, but I really do think that, that Christian leadership development piece is a, I feel like it's a technical term, that we are really... Um, wanting to connect students to a specific mindset of discipleship, a specific mindset of what it means to be developed as a pupil under Christ. Um, We're giving them a different vision for the world. Uh, Christian union is very much... Um, focused on transforming culture that is the mission of our organization to develop christian leaders to transform culture and so when we bring students into our ministry through bible courses which is the centerpiece of our ministry real top-notch biblical impartation exegetical book studies uh, some real relevant topical studies um, when we're developing and mentoring students in any of those various contexts we are doing it with an end in mind and the end is um... The end that we have in mind is to develop them in order to actually leave Princeton um, with cultural transformation on their mindsets. Um, I think of the great sort of theologian, um, Abraham Kuyper, who's who's credited with this quote, right? Every square inch, um, there's not one square inch of existence to which Christ doesn't look at and say, this is mine. Um, And so when I think of what we're doing on campus with Bible courses, with one-on-one discipleship, and then specifically with this leadership development thrust, uh, I think that what Christian Union is doing is we are teaching students to reclaim every square inch for Jesus Christ in the broader culture, whether it's medicine or law or politics or arts, athletics, what have you. um, We are giving students a vast vision for the world and saying um, that by virtue of his death and resurrection, this is Christ's world. um, Now let's image that forth. And so we're trying to get them to embody that on campus so that they'll embody that once they leave campus and enter into these influential segments of society.
2: Now, I'm going to come back to that because that's such an important concept, the idea of... Uh, imaging and reimaging the presence of God and the reflection of God's image uh, in any sphere and in every sphere of life that's uh, I, I actually was going to ask next and maybe this is the time to do it um, uh, when you talk about transforming culture what are you what are you aiming at what's your what's your target in saying that Matt
3: you know um, because so many of these sectors of our society take media, for instance, and heads of the top media companies, because they have such an extraordinary influence, we want the values and purposes of Jesus Christ to come through the media, as well as in government and business and the other things. And so there is a worldview consistent with Jesus Christ, and then there are parallel views that are, of course, inconsistent with that. And you know the things that are the hot buttons, kind of most immediately that come to mind. People they think about television and the over-sexualized culture in terms of TV and, and the representation of all sorts of different lifestyles which are inconsistent with what brings wholeness in life to humanity. And that's constantly being propagated through the media and look at the harm that that does in terms of... Um, of people choosing to follow that lifestyle and all the hurt that comes from that. And then when you, you think about that in every sphere, you look over in business and the importance of those in business to think about how to look out for the interests of the employees as well as the interests of those who are buying the product. And What does it mean to be a Christian in this context? How do I think about the needs of other people while keeping the profit motive, but um, really thinking about God's purposes in addition to that in this context? And it's It's really a broad field, all of these uh, really are. And so if we can focus on those who are going to be stepping into positions of great influence and give them that biblical worldview, and we can only give them so much in four years, but at least inspire a mindset of learning and stepping into that so that As they go in, they don't think about themselves only as being good church members, but we want them to think about being leaders in their local churches, elders and otherwise, but then also leaders in their uh, companies or uh, in their families in terms of how do we see this environment more closely reflect the values of Jesus Christ in every sphere. Mm
2: -hmm. Now, how do you deal, and this is a question for Tim, how do you deal with a related challenge, which is... I mean, obviously, we live in a very secularized culture. We also live in a very pluralistic culture. So the yeah. idea of a media leader going in and if I can say it, and I'm going to go ahead and use the language that's a little bit inflammatory, imposing a Christian worldview on right. the, on the on those who are listening, how do you deal with the fact that the that our cultures are are plural in nature? Are we talking about representing Christ well through what we do in the media? Or are we mm-hmm. talking about takeover? I mean, what's what? what, what how, how do we not sound too triumphalistic in all of this?
1: Yeah, um, let, let me let me answer this, and I want to be careful how I answer this. Uh, what we've been trying to do is um, think of Christians as a people who engage, by definition. Uh, in other words. Engagement is not some sort of gold or platinum upgrade package uh, to the normal Christian life. Uh, It is, in many ways, the normal Christian life. And so um, we're trying to really communicate to students, uh, because that's a question that often comes up, uh, especially because you mentioned this is a secularist culture. Not only that, because it's a secularist culture, it's also a very privatized culture. That's right. Uh, So even if you have very strong, committed beliefs, they are your uh, singular pronoun, strong committed beliefs. And that's just really antithetical to the way the scriptures speak. Um, and so, what we've been trying to communicate with students is listen, uh, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, is to be someone who, and this is language we don't like, right? Not modern sensibilities, is to be someone who manifests the kingdom uh, of Jesus Christ. And that is very imperialistic, uh, to use your word, triumphalistic language in a certain sense. Now, the posture that we take in our approach um, the rhetoric we use the the methods of our engagement have to be nuanced and and uh Christ honoring and other centered and loving and all of that but as far as the mode itself the mode of engaging culture the mode of maybe the word is redeeming culture uh is not something that it's good if you get to it it's very much at the at the heart and center of the gospel and therefore what it means to be a people of the gospel um, mission is something that's really risen Uh, to the forefront here at Princeton this past year, if I could say this, a biblical, theological reading that just generates uh, uh, and catalyzes mission in our students as something that's been uh, not only maybe new and fresh for them, but something that they're desiring. It's giving them permission to be the kind of Christians that they're reading about in Scripture, have always uh, been afraid to approach, but are finding that There's no real plan B to be a Christian is to be the kind of people who do engage culture. So, um, yeah, you have to coach well into that and articulation and and nuance and um, context and all of that matters. Um, But I think what's at the center is uh, the the real high view of engagement that we have. It, It is a mind shift. When we talk about transforming culture, I don't want us to think that transforming culture is just something out there there's a fair amount of cultural transformation and mindset that needs to happen uh, with Christians, which I think Matt from the very beginning of Christian Unions has really set out to do is to really change minds and persuade uh, Christians and how they ought to think about God, his mission and the world writ large.
2: So, So we're talking about a form of of mm-hmm. advocacy and representation in which I like to use the picture of, you know, we're called to be ambassadors. yeah. And, and so you're representing a nation. You're representing a people. You're representing a point of view. The ambassador doesn't just live in the embassy when he goes to the country. And, you know, exactly. he, he's he's in the country. He's with the other people who are coming from a different place. And yeah. he is representing uh, his country well in front of them.
3: Yeah, And, yeah. and you know, yeah. related to that, uh, I think in some ways it seems like unfortunately we only have two ways of thinking about this as Christians either the imposition model which i think is criticized by the media of Christians much more than it actually happens but some ways in some ways it can be a Christians mindset it's either that or do nothing almost and nothing is 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 too strong perhaps but I feel like a lot of our cultural engagement mindset is, is from the exilic period. We quote uh, Jeremiah during the time of the exile, and that's our means of, of um, influencing culture. And it's not really a gospel-oriented sort of mm-hmm. mode of um, influencing the culture, because when you see the, the actions of the apostles in the book of Acts, it's very much a, more of an engaged um, uh, a posture than what you see during the exile.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a helpful way to think about it. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the pieces of, of the ministry there at Princeton. You've said that there's uh, it, it's a leadership development program, basically, that has uh, kind of your standard Bible study time on the one hand and, and your one-on-one discipleship elements on the other. What are the features of what you do that um, – operate outside of that I mean I'll just share you know when I go up to Princeton and visit you all of course you have the big group meeting which is which mm-hmm. is to encourage everybody I know that, that that's going on and, and that that deals with different subjects at different times uh, what what else do you do that's part of the leadership training part of this
1: yeah so you mentioned uh bible uh, sort of the the way i think about the key impulses let me just say first of all that uh, i would say that the value that hangs over everything is what we call a real real focus on seeking god um one of the things that christian Union, in my mind has really done well is to take things that appear antithetical and to hold them together so highly intellectual engagement high spiritual vitality uh, and high missional engagement all of those three things Um, might often emphasize different movements and what Christian Union I believe has done a real good job of of pursuing is unifying all of those and saying no these don't have to stand in opposition to each other they can stand together Um, and so for a a ministry that is on the Ivy League uh, that wants to have a certain caliber of of, uh, staff to be able to meet this context the thing that really, really hangs over the entire ministry banner on various campuses is what we call the Seeking God lifestyle, a real strong commitment to, to seeking the Lord, praying and fasting that His presence and power might be what energizes our efforts. So that is very central to everything we do. Um, and so let me now spell out some of the pieces that, that hang underneath that. Um, first, as you mentioned, Bible courses. And I'll just take one case study um, this past fall. So I would say last fall. Uh, we went through the book of Romans, Paul's book of Romans at a really, really high level, deep exegetical level, not only understanding the text, but interacting with pe- different people's view of the texts from sort of a classical, maybe reformed position, uh, more main evangelical, even new perspective. So really, really getting our students to think real deeply um, at that level of the text and interacting with it. Uh, as you mentioned, just sort of classical mentoring and one-on-one where students get encouraged and, and discipled in and, and a real intentional, up close and intimate way. Uh, the third piece is that leadership development piece. And this is where I believe we probably give our students the greatest sense of competitive advantage, not only to their peers on campus, um, but once they leave campus as well. We- there's um, Our our ministry is broken out into various leadership teams that that students uh, are coached in, but that students very much own. Uh, you, Dr. Bach, have have uh, visited us a few times on Friday nights. Um, that team that puts together what we call our Friday night lecture series um, is a team of about 40 to 50 students that are led by uh, a leadership team of four students uh, that receive ongoing coaching from one of our staff members and how to think strategically about ministry. Um, because what, what what we don't want to do is create sort of a sacred secular distinction where when students enter into the real world, if I can call it that, they will think strategically about the work they do. They will have certain uh, mission and vision and values to reflect wherever they work, Madison Avenue, Main Street, Wall Street, what have you, Um, and then... We don't want them to think of ministry as this just exclusively organic side. And so the world is organized, the ministry world is organic, we don't want them to have that kind of dichotomy. And so our leadership development emphasis, this team coaching model, is where we're getting them to think very strategically. If I might say even entrepreneurially about ministry, um, it develops them as leaders. And we've seen students Um, in other involvement on campus, whether it's student government or on their sports team, really attest to the leadership development focus and training that we give them and attest to the fact that it's given them a competitive advantage against some of their peers. Uh, In interviews, students have said that uh, they found that the person interviewing them has really been uh, sort of... um, jaw-dropping wondering where they're getting some of this training from and where they're thinking about life and some of the things that they're working on so strategically um, and it's come from just the wonderful coaching that our staff gives them so we really feel that that's where they get a level up um... as far as ministry uh... love what our brothers and sisters are doing in partner ministries on the campus but we really do believe that this niche is also the driving edge and competitive advantage that we give students on campus so this leadership development team coaching uh... is is where i think
0: This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how Evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.
2: And and the interesting thing is the last time I was on campus, I remember uh, we scheduled a dinner with one of your graduating students, a senior who was writing a thesis and and uh, needed Really, some help and expertise on how to at- how to attack a thesis that was actually going to go after a mm-hmm. major concept of the professor in class. That's uh, right. A pretty gutty move in in many ways, and yeah. and uh, and she just needed someone some help to to bounce off of. And your staff knew they mm-hmm. really couldn't supply some of that advice so they asked when I came in would I mind having dinner with this student interacting with her and just talking about the process that she was going through some of the arguments that she was thinking about presenting and how she should do it and how right. it might work in a, in a thesis in an academic thesis environment because I yeah. you know I read theses on the other end and, uh, and we had a wonderful dinner discussion that was really in two parts one mm-hmm. was a here's the content that you're dealing with part which would be the Normal part of any kind of conversation, but the right. second part of it was here's the here's the strategy, here's the way to approach handling that material, hopefully in a way that will uh, that will uh, you know produce a, a helpful result and on the other end produce a work that people can go and refer to uh, in a right. way that will be persuasive. And that's very much what I'm hearing is is that there's that kind of. Uh, two-pronged approach of helping people on the substance side, but also on the whole uh, 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 packaging's a bad word, but it's the word that's in my head. Uh, sure. A packaging way in terms of how to present it in a way in a, in a way that will be effective,.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, and as we think about on the campus, too, in terms of uh, 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 impacting the larger community, it is in the area of probably academics and in the social culture which we think about it the most. You know, and if we feel like we can't help and coach the students to succeed in this area now, how will they succeed when they graduate, when life gets a lot more complex? So being able to provide the content and the approach in their academic classes and then also on the social scene on campus where the hookup culture and um, binge drinking is such a problem. There are two main ways that we are helping them to be lights now and hopefully uh, when they graduate.
2: Okay. Well, yeah. you, you you've made a great transition because that is actually where I was going next, and that is what are the issues and the challenges that the the students who are a part of your ministry that you're ministering to that you feel like they face. And let me let, let's divide them up so that we can kind of discuss them in sequence. Let's talk first about the social pressures and, yeah. and and things in social life, which is one thing, and then come over and talk about the the intellectual challenges that come. From saying, you know, I'm a Christian on an Ivy League campus. So let's talk first about the social pressures, uh, Tim. What what generally do students face, and how do you help them to face those challenges?
1: Yeah, um, I, I would argue that the social pressure at, at Princeton, anyway, um, is it may be the most um, yeah, it, might, it may be the most formidable uh, challenge that we have in the sense that, yeah, there's intense academic and intellectual pressure, but the social pressure, both in as far as elitism and then as far as immorality, uh, those two are huge. There's this sort of um, – if I can land it in actually the time and space and, and – uh, uh, of space of Princeton. Um, there's this street, Prospect Street, where uh, all of Princeton, nearly all of Princeton's social life is located. Um, and, I, and I'd say that what's on that street is a set of what's known as the eating clubs, which are part, if I can think of it this way, they're part dining hall, part uh, fraternities and sororities, and part country club. Um, so so think about all of those and mash them together, and you have eating club. There um, There is everything that you would expect on um, sort of the you know the biggest when you look at a, a list a national list of biggest party schools uh, a lot of the stuff that happens in those schools are happening at these eating clubs uh, particularly um, the hookup culture and sort of just the licentious uh, view of relationships and sexuality uh, that is very very much alive and well at Princeton um, and um, I think if not kept in check it would it would rise to new levels um, one of the one of the um, Sort of data points that I use for that is last year um, at Princeton, there was a student group on campus that was looking to bring in um, an initiative which has found its way on many other campuses across the country. It's known as Sex Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's usually pitched as. Uh, advocate. Uh, it's usually pitched as education conversation, but what it really, what it winds up being, is advocacy um, in the worst sense of the word. Not only is it something that's unbecoming of the Princetonian context, but obviously a gospel context. And we're talking about a student group bringing in. Um, uh, porn stars, and if I just mentioned some of the titles of the of the talks that they were conceiving, it's just it you'd be horrified by it. And so um, that is something that I really think would have gained steam here at Princeton if not for uh, the engagement, the direct engagement from some of the ministry staff and students here on campus, where we gathered together to mobilize first in prayer and fasting. Um, really advocated with all the different ministries and then even went outside of just the uh, Christian circles here to uh, other circles of student life and student groups that would be sympathetic to the cause Um, and um, by God's grace near the end, uh, there was no sex week to speak of. It stopped. It didn't land on campus, but it would have and not only would it have landed here this year, uh, but if you know anything about Princeton, it lands on a calendar this year and it's been institutionalized for many years to come. And so uh, that That just gives you a window into how live the social pressure, not just to party, not just to climb the ranks of some social hierarchy. But to actually get really licentious, how how real and powerful it actually is here on campus.
2: You know, the, uh, when I hear the eating clubs, the New Testament person in me comes out, and I think about the Greek symposia that uh-huh. uh, used to happen in the first century, and that really, and and some of the elements of of mystery religion that feed into fraternities and sororities and that kind of thing. There really is. People aren't aware of how deep some of the roots are for some Mm -hmm. of the cultural features that we do see on a university campus and how long they've been around culturally in one form or another.
1: Right, right. And in order to to penetrate any sense because Truth be told, we have never shied away from having our students be a part of the social scene uh, for the redemption of the social scene, but it requires a lot of nuance, a lot of care, thoughtfulness, teaching, and coaching um, in order to be a part of it and to seek its redemption while not practicing in the very things that we're looking to engage and oppose. Okay,
2: now the social part of this is something that I think is part of the life of most campuses around the country in one way or another, but there Mm -hmm. is a particular problem that that I think uh, populates uh, your Ivy League schools and some of your top schools around the country, not just Ivy League, and that's the elitism that you mentioned. And yep. that manifests itself in, in some ways in a more subtle way. The social pressures are kind of frontal. They're in your face. You're not going <laughs> to miss them, but the elitism can be a, a kind of more subtle uh, yep. kind of pressure. Uh, talk about that a little bit and, wh- and how that shows itself uh, and, and what yep. kinds of pressures are we talking about for students?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Matt can certainly add to this, having been here for so long, but the social pressure is overwhelming. Um, We've seen students uh, go into depression because they didn't get into the particular eating club that they wanted to. Eating clubs is sort of it makes it sound like we're flattening all of them there is a hierarchy amongst even those eating clubs there is an elite among the elite uh and we've seen students go into um, severe depressions it's really affected their walk uh with the lord it's affected their academic studies it really spills over into all aspects of life um because if it's not just where they fit into Princeton, but think of life after Princeton when they're at a reunion years from now or whether they're meeting sort of alumni on the job. Um, they not only say, oh, I was at Princeton, but then the next part of the conversation is, hey, which club were you in? And, and based upon the answer you give, uh, you get stuck into one sort of category or another. And so all of that uh students really inaugurate when it's time to uh bicker that's the process think about it as pledging or rushing mm-hmm. when it's time bicker process you really see an intensity amongst the students an extreme panic uh the night before when they're waiting to hear the decisions of whether or not they got in i mean students are uh in a frenzy like as if they're waiting for their mcat score or to find out if they got into the med school that they wanted to um so it is very in every sense an idol it is in very every sense an idol that must be challenged and we do that the way we do every form of idolatry, we hold every thought captive, we teach the scriptures, we teach the very character and nature of Christ, Um, God chose the foolish to to confound the wise, all of these things, um, it requires every bit of all of our ministry, discipleship, leadership, development, energy and efforts to combat that as it would to combat immorality or some of the other more obvious forms of of uh, sin and idolatry in our culture, but the social pressure here is is so so significant.
2: And you're already in an environment which you're dealing with highly competitive and very competent mm-hmm. people, so mm-hmm. that so that there's an edge to all this. I know that um, many campuses, particularly the. The ones that are known to be uh, to have a reputation for being top flight schools, not sure. only we're we talking about depression, but oftentimes you're talking about suicides as a result of some of this. So it's yeah. it, it's it can be absolutely uh, devastating. Matt, what what uh, what would you add to this discussion on elitism? Because I know it is a very very big concern in in Ivy League contexts.
3: Yeah, you know, I think Tim said it well. It's it's such a concern. It's, and it's navigating the importance and the encouragement for Christians to be in all circles of society, including influential ones, because yeah. Yeah. you know, you, you, what you have is if someone becomes aware of elitism, their uh, knee-jerk response is, well, I'll just pull back and not be engaged in these positions. Mm-hmm. And that's not a great answer either, or response, because uh, then you have people purely with a secularist mindset in the most influential position. So, um, but then you, you have the other side where you, um, you go after these things and they become more important to you than the Lord and they are idols. So helping coach people through that is a very difficult when there's such a um, pressure around them to idolize this at all costs. It's, it's either all in in a bad sense idolatry or just reject it all, which exactly. is kind of a fundamentalist response which is something that we don't believe
2: in. Yeah, and I, I think that it's really, really important to step back and even see this in a, in a cultural context in, in our own society. I often am engaged in conversations with people about where evangelicalism is, and I say, when we went through the fundamentalist-modernist controversy of what is now over a century ago, and mm-hmm. and and. And in effect, evangelical Bible-believing Christians had to rebuild their social structure. They were, they were right. out of the universities. They were, they were out of the major role in the denominations. They really had to rebuild from scratch. And what they did is they created their own subculture. Uh, oh, yeah. their own schools, their own universities, etc. And for many people, that's great. But what happened also is, is it created a vacuum in all the universities that were funneling into the core parts of our culture. And yeah. in, in that vacuum, basically what you got was an acceleration of a secular presence with oh. no counter voice present. And what you all are doing, it seems to me, is trying to help people be – that wise counter voice, as a part of that engagement, in the very circles that do feed into the main main pipelines of our culture.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right on. You know, it's these schools became very secular because, in many ways, the Christians left, and uh, it wasn't so much of a secularist takeover as a abandonment by the Christians, and so we have kind of no one to blame but ourselves because of that, and so we need to rethink that. Uh, understand a theology and have one of staying engaged while not giving in to the idols, but not just simply um, leaving and abandoning. You know, I, when you're speaking, um, it made me think of uh, the introduction that uh, Christian Smith, sociologist at Notre Dame, has to a book called The Secular Revolution, which is a really 90 page introduction, is amazing. and That he just catalogs this process of the secularization of the academy, um, again, attributing it most to the abandonment by Christians.
1: Join us next week for part two of The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism, and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.